What's up, people? Hotep Jesus. We are back. Another uncomfortable conversation. A lot of you have been waiting for this conversation. A lot of you have requested this conversation. I just like to say thank you for putting this out in the atmosphere. I thought it was a brilliant idea. We were able to make this happen really fast. I'm just happy we were able to make this happen. Um, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time with an intro today. Just want to let you know that I am a three-time tech startup founder. I've another company will be launching soon. You'll you'll know about that launch. It'll be pretty prevalent um, in your in your sphere. Um, but you can find uh, all of my work. I'm also an author. You can also find all of my work in the description description box below. All of our software projects are in the description box below as well. Um, and if you want to support Hotep Nation, you can do so at patreon.com slash Hotep Nation. I am Hotep Jesus from your favorite podcast, Hotep's Been Told You from with Uncle Hotep. Every Thursday at 8 p.m. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on my guest today, Mr. Scott Adams. Scott, man, what's up? How are you, bro? I'm great. How are you? Life is good. Life is good. You know, I don't I don't allow myself to get caught up in the nonsense and the riffraff of the timeline. I'm usually the one making sense of it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been tough to uh to be a public figure because you've got to stay calm. You know, we you, you and I can't get too excited because then that becomes an accelerant for everybody else. So so I I did a lot of work on myself before I would even get on live stream. Mm, that's interesting. That's interesting. You know, I never thought about that. Like I, I, I subconsciously do that, right? Like I understand that I can't be one of these, like, as you say, accelerants. So I have to work on myself. I, I've said like one of the most important things that anybody can learn, which is directly relevant to stuff that's happening today, is to learn that you control other people all the time. Of course, mm. they can they control you too. But you you know, I use the example: you walk into a mood into a room in a bad mood. What's it do to everybody else? You know, you walk in in a good mood. What's that do to everybody else? You know, you see it in real time. And uh, if you take that principle to everything you do, you know, workplace, your relationships, and every time something's not going right, just say, wait a minute, if I change me, that's totally going to have an effect on you, and I want you to change. So if you're just arguing, you change first, no, you change first, <laughs> there's yeah. nothing there. There's no path there. Yeah, that's that's what I teach in my book, my masculinity book, uh, Unbreaking Rules for Masculinity. I'm like, if you're having a problem with a woman, that's on you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's something yeah. that you didn't do right. You didn't frame that relationship from the beginning properly. And you should be able to control her by controlling yourself. Yeah. I mean, uh, when, it, when it comes to uh, you know women and other people, I don't like to use the word control, but, <laughs> but, but it is true that you, know, you, can, you can cause other people to act differently. I, I like to put it that way. Cause and effect. Why, why don't you like the word control? Does it sound like... Uh, Nobody wants to hear it, you know. Like, you know, if you're if you were a woman listening to that and you just heard control, why does somebody want to control me? But of course, the context is just two people in a in in a civil society. Mm, yes, 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 yes. People are very um, particular about words these days, and they hurt their feelings a lot. Yeah, you know, one of the things I heard uh, just the other day that just blew my mind 
was how common words are interpreted differently by the African-American community versus the white American community. And, you know, I, I saw, I heard an example, and I'm trying to remember what it was, but it just blew my mind that, that I would interpret it so differently. And they're just normal words. I'm not talking about any, like, jargon or anything like that. And I thought, wow, you could so easily be offensive with no intention whatsoever. To, yeah, to like, like thug. Yeah, like, perfect. Okay, that, yeah, that's a perfect example. To me, it means absolutely nothing. But I realize that's not the case for everybody. Yeah, when I saw Trump refer to the protesters as thugs, I was like, "Ugh!" Not because personally, because you know, I just know how people perceive that word, especially black people, and right. they're going to use that to attack them. You yeah. know, like like you can't use the word control, you can't use the word thug either. You know, you t but you tell you tell Trump he can't use a common word. He's going to use it twice as much, <laughs> <laughs> and and. And I don't think he's wrong in that because his brand is don't apologize straight ahead. You know, it's all it's all power. You know, don't back up. So it works for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that's why I like Trump because I'm very much the same way. It's like you tell me I can't say control. Okay, so control is the word that we're going to just use from now on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, let's start. Let's start with COVID, man. You know, I know you are a big vocal uh, individual in, in the COVID, the coronavirus and all of that. Let's start from the origins. Um, I know you kind of don't deal in this stuff, but let's see where this goes. Was it created in a lab by Dr. Fauci, like some people are trying to say? Did it come from China? Did the United States military? Where did this thing come from? Well, we don't know. So we'll just, let me just speculate. I'll give you my speculation on top of your speculation. <laughs> uh, here are the things, you know, I, I try to look at it in terms of the statistics, right? So I would say the odds of it coming from China are close to 100%, that, that the, at least the country and probably Wuhan. The odds of it coming from a lab, I would put at no more than 50%. And the, the argument there is that um, there was an obvious place that it happens across the street. They don't sell bats, but they do sell pangolins. Is that the name of the, the creature that I'd never heard of until this? Uh, so there was exactly the potential cause in the neighborhood. And uh, I, I think it was uh, Ann Coulter who switched me from probably a lab accident to, ah, uh, it's at least 50-50. Uh, yeah, we because the, the problem is that the argument for coming from a lab came from our intelligence people who said, "Yeah, we got this. Trust us." And then you know you first hear it, you go, "Oh, okay, we figured it out." And then you see example after example where the experts are just so wrong, so amazingly wrong. Every kind of expert, intelligence people, all of you know, basically everybody's wrong about everything. And then you say to yourself, okay, it's a, it's a jump ball, right? Like, I don't know if it came from the lab and I don't know if it came from the web markets, but the one thing I know for sure is there's nobody I can trust <laughs> on, that, on that question. Don't trust our intelligence agencies, not even a little bit. You know, we've, we've sort of un, unfortunately passed that, uh, that marker. Um, so then the, the more interesting question is whether it's designed. You know, if it came from a lab, could it be designed? And I asked very smart people, smart people, I asked that question. Now, the first answer they'll give you is, no, nah, no. 
because you could see it. You know, the experts would look at it and they say, oh, this has obviously been altered. And then here's my, here's what I say to that. Number one, how good have the experts been so far in every other freaking domain for the last year? So the first thing is I don't trust anybody who says, oh, no, you know, you'd be able to tell just by looking at it. I'm like, really? Really? Would you? Would you be able to tell just by looking at it? Because <laughs> I'm not so sure you could. And then there's another wrinkle, which is if you're trying to design a, you know, a virus has certain qualities. One way you could do it is just to put two viruses together, I suppose. I mean, I don't know anything about viruses, but it seems to me that you could naturally evolve or, mm-hmm. or, or naturally or maybe artificially make them mutate until you got what you wanted. So it could look like a natural mutation that they a b tested until they found the one that was just right right could it could you spot that mm. i don't know experts could they don't mm. know mm. yeah i uh, yeah i don't believe that either you're right yeah. um, okay so we we passed that is the virus as deadly as they say it is well here's here's the fun part um, there was a doctor who uh, follows me on Twitter, and so I got to got to see his journey into the regular flu. You know, they say uh, fifty thousand people, whatever the number is this year, die of the regular flu. Do you know we don't count those? <laughs> we don't count them. So count what? The, the deaths? We don't we don't count the number of people who die from the regular flu. Okay. But yet there, are, but yet we have these numbers that are very hmm. specific for each year. And the answer is that they do it by formula. They take an assumption. They, they basically look at all the numbers and say, well, you know, probably this many. But <laughs> and, and do you know, but have you ever heard of anybody in your whole life, have you heard of anybody who died of the regular flu? No, I can't say I have. Not one. Yeah. I don't, and, you know, if you check around, you'll find somebody who will say, yeah, I know one. But how many people do you know who at least have a relative or something who died of COVID? Several, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably several. Yeah. Same here. Now, and so this is this is where I started was, well, if it's roughly the same numbers, and before it got to 100,000 COVID in the United States, it was roughly the same for a while. I kept thinking, why do I keep hearing about all the COVID deaths, even within my you know extended circle? But I never hear about that other kind. And this doctor looked into it, and he found out that the answer is probably nobody dies of regular flu. <laughs> now, when I say nobody, right, I don't, right, right. I don't mean literally. Yeah, but, yeah. But it might be a few thousand a year. Well, it, it depends, right? So when we think about dying of the flu, you don't exactly die of a virus. You die of the symptoms that causes heart failure. The combination of things, yes. Right, right. Yeah, if if you're weak in general. Now, uh, I should uh, warn anybody watching this. If you take any medical advice from me, gigantic mistake. So you should just assume I have no credibility in this and just enjoy it, and and then you'll be okay. I don't want anybody to die because they heard something I said on this podcast. Oh, yeah, please do the same for me as well. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been uh, interviewing um, a lot of intelligent guests who – specialized in health. Uh, one of them actually was Dr. Shiva, um, but we'll talk about vaccines in a little bit. But um, 
why why do you think that the lizard men, the powers that be, because obviously I know you think they blew this thing out of proportion. Why do you think they they did this? Do you do you think there's some agenda to increase the communization of America or what's happening here? No, you know, I don't buy any of the the big um the big conspiracy theories that it's a way to control the world and you know the powers are taken over somehow. Um I do think that maybe people have lots of things in their mind and if if they notice that this could help them, you know, let's say you're a Democrat and you believed incorrectly, I think, that the COVID was going to help you a little bit somehow in the elections. I think you could hold that thought, but I don't think that there are real people, uh, maybe I just refuse to believe it, that there's anybody who would want, you know, 10,000 more people to die so they could get a little leg up on an election. I think they just look at it all at the same time and say, well, I can't really help it. These people are going to die, but it does help me. And then, you know, maybe there's some slight difference in what they push for policies. But I like to think this is the one time everybody was sort of on the same side in terms of, well, maybe there's two times because we're going to talk about another time that (laughs) I think we're going to get to that. But it was uniquely unifying in a weird way that everybody wanted the same thing, but we didn't have the right information to know what was the right thing. So my take on the whole thing is lots of people who didn't quite know when they saw what happened in Wuhan, uh, on January 24th, I was screaming, like actually, you know, yelling and swearing on live stream, close the airports, close the airports. Mm-hmm. Now, the experts were looking at basically the same thing I did, which is if they're so scared, we should be scared before we even know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't need any more details. If, if that's what's happening in Wuhan, close the airport, and then we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a week later or so, the president did that, which was uh, probably, I think, will go down as maybe his finest leadership decision because nobody wanted him to do it mm-hmm. you know, in his team. So I thought that was, you know, that's real leadership when nobody wants it mm-hmm. <laughs> and you do it anyway, mm-hmm. and then it works out. So you don't think there was an over, overstep of boundaries by the government? Well, I think it was a lot of people guessing and doing the best that they could. Some of those people didn't do well. Some of them got lucky. But, you know, I uh, from the, the first days, one of the things I was telling my audience on a regular basis almost every day is that when we're on the other side of this and we're getting close to that, you know, when we get to the other side, we're all going to be looking back and we're going to be shooting the experts and shooting the, the you know, we're going, to, we're going to want to punish everybody who did anything wrong because we're brilliant in the future. Oh, how smart we are in the future when we figured everything out. How about taking some of that knowledge back in the past so they could have used it because they didn't have that. Mm. And, and I was saying, Democrat or Republican, president or governor, expert, doctor, virologist, I don't care. If they're trying, I love them. If, if, if they fuck up, I love them. Mm. If they fuck up and don't fix it, Mm. I'm a little unhappy. Mm. If they fuck up and say that didn't work, let's quickly try something else. I love them. Mm. Now, what I saw was people trying stuff, fucking up. This worked. This didn't. Quickly adjusting. So if if the a story, lot of people that lack common sense. Well, well, there were you know there were lots of people who did things that maybe you and I wouldn't have done. I think they did it out of fear, out of yeah. fear, out of fear of not taking the right precautions and being blamed for something later on down the line. 
Well, fear and risk management can look very similar from the outside. I okay. think you're right. From the from the politician's perspective, there's there's sort of a rule of thumb that being tough on something and then being wrong, in other words, being too cautious and then wrong, you can live that. Yes. But if you err on the other direction, you're You're dead. done. You're done. There's, there's no coming back. So right. the, politi- the politicians didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was saying early on is that the public had to take the choice away from them, which ultimately happened, I would say. I mean, the riot, you know, the, the protests and stuff kind of made it happen, mm-hmm. but it was happening anyway. Yeah. The, the, pe- the people had said... And that was exactly the right thing to do because our politicians were completely um, incapable politically of doing the hard decisions. Right. Like no no politician could say, I think I want you to go back knowing that 10,000 extra people will die, but we'll get our economy going. Nobody can say that. Mm. You can't say that out loud. You know who can say that? I can. I can say that out loud because I don't have a boss. Right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the public on social media could say that out loud. So we had this weird situation where leadership turned upside down for a few months, which is the leaders were, were absolutely taking their guidance from the public. Mm. Now, they, they're not going to say that per se. And, you know, and, and there were certainly some decisions such as closing the, closing the airport that was purely the government. But I think once things got going, the, the public opinion People were really getting well-informed, too. I've never seen the public try so hard to learn enough that they could be productive and you know part of the solution. Uh, that, that part was really impressive. But I think the public pushed, pushed the president. The president you know, is, is probably the best ever at, watch, at reading the room, you know, listening to social media. And he adopted the public's, the public's opinion you know, the dominant Republican side of the opinion, at least. And he took it forward. Mm. And and one of the things that is underappreciated about Trump is that uh, he's a little bit like me in the sense that he can say the things that other people just won't say. Right. And he, and he can say, look, people are going to die, but we got to open up the economy. He doesn't say it as starkly, but at least he can, you know, at least he's the kind of person who can say it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let me run into some super chats real fast. Uh, Hotep, what's up, homie? He said, Hotep, I'm looking forward to this one, fam. Hope you and the family have been well. Shouts to the chat. Looking forward to these truth bombs. Thank you, Jake uh, Richmond. Uh, Hotep, thank you for putting this together. Thank you, Jake. Chad, he said, can we get a Hotep simultaneous sip of the red wine tonight? Let's get it. <laughs> All I have is this, but I'm willing. Willing to go. Cheers. Simultaneous <laughs> sip. <laughs> Delicious. Uh, T's Corner Store. Uh, beautiful sight to see. Dialogue. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, Scott, what kind of uh, hypnotizing is going on when you make us take that sip? Uh, well, it's a thing called uh, pacing. So, pacing is if you can get somebody to do anything, anything at all that is what you've asked them or suggested, they are primed to do more. So this is a salesperson trick. Mm-hmm. If you can get them to give you to borrow your pencil, give you a stick of gum, they just get in the mode of, oh, he, this person asked me for things, I give them, it works out well. So you're just creating a little pattern in people's minds. Mm. Working that white man's voodoo. I'll <laughs> rebrand it as white man's voodoo. But, but, but by the way, I'm I'm a little confused. Why are, why are people acting like it's a big deal that you and I are talking? 
is it is it that everybody white and everybody black is suddenly supposed to not like each other? Did I did I miss I, a meeting? I think I think what's happening is that um, you and I both have solution oriented minds, and we look at things from that sort of perspective. We 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 sort of make sense of things, whereas our uh, racial counter um, counterparts are uh, usually like to embellish in the events of things and yeah. profit off of them and right. you know and and accelerate things like you like you say you know gaslight too um whereas we don't do that um that's what I think it is but also because you're a, a white guy and I'm a black guy and we're not supposed to get along right <laughs> I didn't get the memo so okay <laughs> yeah 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 um so you know you said that this you don't think that this whole thing is a big conspiracy to communize the world. But yet, Scott, we came out with a whole bunch of new Orwellian terms. Social distancing, alone <laughs> together. This isn't more evidence of, of Big Brother putting the squeeze on us. Well, you know, I never, I never grade anything that's designed to be short term as if it were a long term. You know, when when we lost all of our basically, we lost all of our constitutional rights for about three months. I wasn't worried a bit because it wasn't like we weren't going to take them back, right? You you could try to you could try to keep us you know locked up for longer than three months, but it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> so I was never worried that that could any of that could be permanent. However. There's something really cool that's happening that um, some people are starting to talk about, which is that we shook the box so hard with the economy that we we looked under everything. We, we, we reconsidered everything from the ground up. We said, if none of this existed, how would we build it instead of you know just going along with what happened? Suddenly, I think everything from education to uh, commuting to healthcare, online doctors, like gigantic swaths of industries are, are going to have to redesign. And the, the economic energy that's going to come out of that, I think, is going to be so big that we just don't see it coming. Mm -hmm. You know, add on top of that, the half of the country actually made money in the last three years, three months, because they didn't lose their job and they didn't spend any. Mm. So explain so, the phenomenon of the rich people getting paid off of um I think you call it identity politics. Yeah, so the idea well, is well, this. First, first, first tell me what identity politics is. I never understood that term. Well, my understanding is that it's it's the idea that you emphasize people's uh, gender or ethnicity or any any kind of other thing and uh, you use that to um, pers persuade and and to get rules rules changed to recognize some advantage of your identity, or to take away a disadvantage of your identity as you see it. Hmm. Like what? Well, let's say you thought you were being discriminated against. Right. Then you could say, well, this this group is discriminated against. We'll make some special considerations. This unique. For that group, uh, participation trophies for little kids. I got it. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> so, so how are the rich getting paid off these identity politics? So, imagine if you will, uh, and I, I borrow this idea from Dave Chappelle, who does it better in his stand-up act, which is imagine all the poor people realize that they had more in common with each other, and I'll say not poor, but let's say lower income, 
right? All the lower income look at each other and say, you know what? I got way more in common with you at the same income that I have in common with Jeff Bezos, who coincidentally is my same skin color. Mm. I got nothing in common with Jeff Bezos, nothing, mm. right? But I got a lot in common with anybody who's in my same economic situation. Sure. So, so the point is that if the news, which is largely you know the the elites and the the, the people in charge, kind of control the news, if you will, uh, if the news didn't tell us that the fight is between black and white people. Would we have figured it down on our own? In other words, would, would we have just said, uh, you're poor, I'm poor, do you think we can do something about this? And then we would join forces and we would tax the rich, right? Wouldn't you? Yeah. It, it, why wouldn't you? I mean, right. it wouldn't make any sense to it's, not it's, tax it's, the rich. Historically, it's happened. Yeah. And, but as long as the powers that be keep telling you that your, your frame that you should look at is your identity, mm -hmm. you'll always be broken up into little groups that are all fighting for their own power, mm -hmm. and they'll never individually add up to enough to change the system. Mm -hmm. so, so the big lie is that the primary fight in, in civilization is ethnicity and gender. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones we keep hearing all the time, when in fact... I just have way more in common with somebody who's in my situation mm. than anything else. Mm. Well, can't you be, uh, can't you have racial pride and not be anti another group at the same time? And can't that be healthy? So for example, I'd, I'd say no. <laughs> okay. Ahead. Okay. Yeah. Let me go. So out here, I live in New Jersey. Out here it's run by, Indian people, there's little New Delhi everywhere, right? And that's a beautiful thing, you know? America, come, set up shop, capitalism, it's great. They stick to themselves. They have their own schooling system, their own community, their own holidays, their own culture, their own thing. They even, you know, they have such a high population that they'll cause businesses in the area to go out of business and then they'll replace it with their own restaurant or whatever it may be. They have that type of control where I live. And that's because they have culturally segregated themselves. That's not power. Yeah. That, anytime anybody uh, gets together, it's power. Um, I was reacting to what you said about, um, uh, it was uh, pride in your, did you say pride in your ethnicity? What was the exact yeah, phrase? Race, ethnicity, whatever is the catchphrase to these. So it, here's what I say about this. And when people are talking about, uh, let's say, white racists or white supremacists, which I've never met one, but I hear they exist. Um, uh, when they're talking about pride of being a white person, I always have the same reaction, is, which is, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> like, you know, is it, how do you get pride in Thomas Edison? He made a fucking light bulb. What did you do? You did fucking nothing. <laughs> nothing. You don't get to get pride in what other people you've never even fucking met did, which was really cool. I'm glad they, I'm glad I got a light bulb, but you didn't help. You weren't there. And so I think to myself that, that the idea of ethnic pride is just destructive because hmm. it imagines that you can you can somehow ride on the success of complete strangers yeah. who have this one coincidental you know parallel with you it's like oh my dna has this little bit of thing too yeah. it didn't help you 
You didn't make any light bulbs. I didn't see <laughs> light bulbs come out of you. So, you know, I'll use my, my own ethnicity to make fun of, but I, I, I would extend that. It's like, why are you taking pride in your ethnicity? Because nobody said there was anything wrong with it. Hmm. Like, like it's, it's like it wasn't even in the conversation. You know, how about pride in your own accomplishments? That's, that's worth doing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Scott. I don't know. Um, it, they make it seem like everybody else is allowed to have pride except white and black people. <laughs> right? Like, you're, you know, you can have LGBT pride. You know, you can have all these different types of pride. Even black people are allowed to have pride and white people aren't. You know, I, I think there's a, a time for things. In other words, if right. if you thought if you thought other people didn't think well of you, and maybe you didn't think well of you, then maybe pride is exactly the thing you need at that phase. Okay, but 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 who in the world has a television set or a screen and thinks that um, black people can't succeed in this country? Mm-hmm. Like like that's you know that's a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, you turn on the TV, it's like dominating sports, dominating entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, last president. It's like, okay, what are you watching that I'm not watching? If, if you guys need some extra, you, know, you need some extra pride. It's mm. like I think we're past that. Mm. I think you got all the role models you need, so that's done. Now, what are you doing? You know, how about yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree uh, when you put it like that. Um, but I'm definitely leaning towards black people need to segregate more, a lot more. For their own safety, um, we have no allies. I, I feel like um, I feel like white people are probably our closest ally out of all of the races. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're, you're absolutely right, and I would I would add to that Republicans. And if you ever figure it out, it's going to be incredible. I think Republicans got a lot of work to do too, though. They got to meet sure. us halfway. Sure, sure, but but here's the thing. Republicans are natural allies because all you have to do to be friends with Republicans is, do you like the Constitution? Love it. You're with us. That's it. Now, if you add on top of that, I love my Bible, you're with us and come over to dinner. Right. right? I mean, it's really that simple. But if you add, but if you add, I'm black and I'm proud now, they ain't going to like that too much. How about just leave both of them out? How about they're not going to bring it up and you don't bring it up? Because the 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 thing that the thing that people really don't get about conservatives, and I'm, yeah. and I'm not one, by the way. I spend yeah. most of my time around them, yeah. but I'm I'm left to Bernie personally. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing you don't get about them, and the reason it's so comfortable for me to be mostly around conservatives, if you follow just a few rules, yeah, they love you. Yeah. And, and the rules are don't break the law. Yeah. You know, don't ask for a special advantage. Yeah. Don't, you know, follow the constitution. It's really simple stuff. And you do that like, simple, simple stuff. They love you. I mean, that's ideal, idealistically speaking, but in practice, it doesn't happen like that. For example, every year uh, I make a joke and I celebrate Kwanzaa. In real life, I'm not really celebrating Kwanzaa, but I celebrate it on the timeline. Why? <laughs> Because it pisses white Republicans off. <laughs> Why is that, Scott? Why should I let I let the the Caucasians celebrate their holiday and and their uh, fake depiction of Faust, right? And 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 the, and, the uh, and Nimrod and Nimrod's tree, 
But then when I when I when I celebrate my holiday, they say, Hotep, that's not a real holiday. And I go, Christmas <laughs> is. How was Christmas any different? So when you say well, that, when you say that, you know, with, about the Republicans, I'm like, ah, you're not allowed to be black and Republican. I don't think there's one Republican that gives a rat's ass about Kwanzaa. That just sounds like a, a social media thing where, you know, if, if I and celebrate culture, and culture I, and culture uh, attacks it every year. Oh, because Mark it's Dice, Mark Dice attacks it every year as, as being a what a, a fake, fake holiday. Fake holiday. They, they attack it every year. That's like the that's like the war on Christmas. It's the least important social issue. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's why I say, well, when when you say, you know, hey, we should ally with the Republicans, I'm like, all right, cool. But there's no. a lot of behavior checking they got to do. No, but but here's an example. So you know, people's social media presence is different than their in in person presence. Do you think? Have you ever met Ann Coulter? I have not yet. All right. Do you think you would get along with her in person? We follow each other. She retweets me. I retweet her. Yes. Yeah, you would. Yes. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the slightest problem. Right. And then if, if you brought up Kwanzaa, she'd bust your she'd bust your balls. Right. You'd bust her balls about whatever dumbass thing she said lately. Right. But none of it's serious. Right. Absolutely. But right. that's not how the greater public is going to take it. They're going to say, look, the MAGA hats hate us. <laughs> You know, things get spun. And it's it's like, would you would you make fun of Iyad Mubarak? Right? Or would you make fun of Yom Kippur? You better not. But, yeah. it, but it's okay to attack a black holiday. And it's well, like, so, so no, here, here's here's the difference. The uh, the black holiday is newer. I, I think I think So you think the length of the creation of the holiday means something? In terms of whether they're willing to go after it, yeah. It's the difference between a cult and a religion. You know, if if it's small and young, it's a cult. If it's been around for 200 years, well, maybe it's a religion. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, but I, I, I think that, you know, if the Irish tried to invent a holiday in 1995, we'd be making fun of it. Yeah, yeah. We would be. Yeah, yeah. So, for example, this is another experiment I play. I'll type in, I love black people, right? All right. And all the white conservatives lose their shit. Well, 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 why are you saying this now? And that, 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 that. And they get really upset. And I go, see, this is why you guys cannot court a black vote to the, to the right. You, don't, you can't even act like adults. The, well... Yeah, I, I'm not going to defend any any particular individuals, but you you really you're touching on that thing that sounds different to different people. Yeah. When you say uh, "Black Lives Matter," do you know what that sounds like to every white person? It sounds like um, white people are racist. It sounds it sounds like what about us? And are you trying to divide us because we weren't talking about race? Why are you bringing it up? So the first. The first thing you think is, well, that's a little divisive. Here's the second thing I think about it. That's setting your sights really low. Yes. Like, because honestly, I, I didn't want, know. I don't want to talk about Black Lives Matter yet. I don't, I don't want to get there yet. You okay, know, we'll get know? there. Because that's a whole conversation. We got, we're going to dissect that. We're going to dissect right. that. But there is a really uh, subconscious racist problem amongst Boomer conservatives, 
conservatives period and white now i i do it too i do the other side i say i love white people and i watch black people lose their shit too right so i'm 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 fair with it right like i do i do both sides but i see an exodus happening of black conservatives because they're seeing so much pushback and divide on let's say the arbory case and the george floyd case where there's no compassion from the right at all you know I th- it feels like everything changed with the uh, the George Floyd situation because uh, there was something about the video that put you in the scene. Like, you you know, you always were, if you read about it, it didn't mean much. If you saw a video, it was like grainy video from a distance that didn't show anything. It might affect you a little bit. But, man, I, I got to tell you, and I was thinking about this this morning, I've never seen a tragedy that the people that I know who would talk to me personally wouldn't make a horrible joke about. Like even, even when the, the space shuttle blew up privately, there were a lot of jokes, right? right? We just didn't say them in public. Right. But, but this, this thing happens and it has every element that you'd expect bad people to make jokes about at least privately. Right. None. Right. None. This, this, this just changed everything in my opinion, because it, it's the first time, I don't know, 150 million white people said like all at once, oh, that's what you're talking about. Mm. <laughs> I felt like everybody said the same thing. Mm. Oh, I, yeah, I've been hearing it, but I didn't really, I didn't really get it. That's mm. what you're talking about. I get it now. Mm. But they were more vocal about looting than they were that American that black American laying on the ground. They might've said it in private. Oh, that's what you talk about. They might've whispered it. There might've been a few people that mentioned it, but when it came to people protesting and looting, the right was definitely not with the protesters. Well, look at the size, look at the scale of it. You know, the, the one person dying is a tragedy. One person dying in that way is a really big tragedy because I see what it did. But the looting uh, threatened to destroy civilization. I mean, it looked like it was an end time situation. Now, I didn't think it was quite that bad. I thought it would calm down after some energy blew off. But there were a lot of people thinking this is the end of the, the earth. And they did think that the end of the earth was bigger than one person's death, no matter how important or tragic. Oh, so that's what it is. People were actually out here panicking. They were scared of shit. Yeah. Yeah. People were really scared. Yeah, the, the, the images really amp everything up because that's all you were seeing on TV. And if you, if you looked at the whole country, it was like this pinprick of how much trouble there was, you know, a couple of pins across the country. Lots of pins, but they're still just pinpricks. Mm. But it's, it seemed, seemed pretty scary. Mm. Lauren, literally, thank you for the super chat. She said Fauci said Trump would have, have to deal with a pandemic back in 2017. Thank you for that info. Uh, Mary O'Donnell, who's have Jesus has the best guest. Scott, do you think Trump will be reelected? Well, I've been saying for over a year, uh, yes, he's on a he's on a path to be reelected unless something happens in between now and election day. <laughs> and then there was coronavirus, and then there was, <laughs> you know, then there was the protest, uh, and there will be lots more. So, so we're not even close to the end of the excitement. I mean, summer is just going to be lit. There's going to be so much news every day, pro and con. But if you were to straight line it from today, 
it's Trump in the landslide. Yes. Mm-hmm. But Dan- we'll see if anything changes. Daniel Hawk, thank you. He says we need to link Scott up with Maj Touré's solution persuasion. How are you? Are you familiar with Maj? No. Uh, he runs Black Guns Matter. You familiar with Black Guns Matter? No. <laughs> All right, we're Sorry. Gonna, we're going to introduce you. Uh, right. Chad Lemoyne. Uh, I'm not trying to start shit. Wait, maybe I am. Does Scott really think cops don't approach people aggressively? They're suited up like it's like it's a war. Yeah, most of my life, I end up uh, being asked to defend opinions I've never held. So I don't, I don't even recognize that opinion. The last chicken nugget says, "Just got the alert on my phone for curfew on NYC." Also, hello, Mr. Adams. God's debris is one of my favorite books. Much love. Thank you. Uh, Emily Dauphine says, great uh, role modeling and how to discuss with open minds. Thank you. Uh, Alicia G, Republicans make fun of all Hallmark holidays. I don't give a damn. You ain't going to talk about mine. You ain't talking about my goddamn Kwanzaa. <laughs> Aztec, Aztec Mecca says, uh, peace and love to all of Hotep Nation ready for the uncomfortable conversations. All right, let's talk about, um, actually, real quick, vaccinations. Where do you stand on vaccinations? Uh, I used to be unambiguously pro-vaccination. The, the, the thing that moved me was finding out that they hadn't been tested in the way that other things have been tested and that they don't get tested in combination. So nobody knows what happens if you give them all to a kid instead of spreading them out. So I have a big question mark, but that's all I have. Mm, yeah. Uh, have you heard the stat about uh, autoimmune diseases being three times more likely in black boys? Um, based on vaccinations or something else? Based upon vaccinations. No, I've never heard of that. Yeah. Uh, it's a study that's going around now. Um, I had uh, these two um, uh, black ladies on my uh, platform a few weeks ago, uh, and, and they uh, talked about it. But um, they, you know, I think it was on Netflix, too. I think Netflix touched on it in, in, in one of the documentaries. But, yeah, it's a big thing in the black community to be anti-vaccination. Um you know, not to take on that term because we know the things that come with that term. But yeah, uh, those things are not tested. I'm glad you're aware of that. Yeah, I, I would go so far as to say, um, yeah, I got real questions, but I'm not a scientist. I can't go any deeper than that. Are you familiar with the uh, legislation coming down the pike? I know in New York and New Jersey about um, removing religious exemption. Have you heard anything from, about that? From what? Uh, so basically, uh, if your child is going to be going to school, um, you cannot use religious use a religion as a reason to be exempt from vaccinations. Everybody must have a vaccination. Are you familiar with that legislation? No, but that sounds like something that that somebody would push because they want to pull everybody in. You know, the the thing with religious freedom is that. We don't really have religious freedom in this this country. What we have is fake religious freedom, which is you have the freedom to be Christian or Christian-like. You you have to be compatible with Christianity. You could call it other things. You could have other practices, but you got to be kind of you know Ten Commandments friendly, if you know what I mean, and and then you're fine. Um, so what happens if you invent a new religion? that says, uh, I can smack people in the back of the head in public anytime I want. You know, that's my religion. Well, the government's going to say, no, it isn't. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you can say that's your religion, 
but you can't smack people in the head. We're going to stop you. Yeah. The, the vaccine vaccination thing is similar in the sense that the purpose of course is the greater good. And, and they're, you know, testing the limits of, uh, of the freedom. And when I see these situations, I always come down on the same side, a good constructive um, friction or good constructive, let's say conflict is exactly what you need because you don't want the government just saying, ah, we're going to do this to you. You don't want religious people to say, I'm going to do anything I want because that's a problem. So I like the fact that they're fighting it out. I like the fact that it's, you know, transparent, it's public, you can see the arguments. And then whichever way it goes, you're going to say, well, okay, the system worked. You know, it's a credible system, even if it didn't go your way. And then you can live with it because at least you bought into the system. So I'm very big on if the system does what it's supposed to do, I'm generally going to go with the result just because it's credible. Mm, mm. Yeah, awesome. So anybody who hasn't seen it, I interviewed Dr. Shiva. He gave a, a great speech and he has several great speeches on immune health. I suggest people check that out and, and, and learn about the immune system. And I think it will definitely change the way you view vaccines. Um, OK, let's talk Black Lives Matter. What, what's what's wrong with the phrase Black Lives Matter? Because I got my own beef with it. So I've called it down today as maybe the worst uh, persuasion mistake of all time. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, Black Lives Matter is very efficient and very good in the sense that people remember it, they use it. So on, on that level, very successful. And on an emotional level, probably really successful too, which is why people use it. That, you know, imagine, well, you don't have to imagine, but I'll imagine. What if I thought I didn't matter? Like my life didn't even matter. That's like really emotional. So on those levels, it's it's it has a superpower. But here's the problem: number one, uh, it's divisive because who are you trying to convince? You're not trying to persuade yourself. If a black man says, "Hey, black Black Lives Matter," he's not talking to himself. I disagree. Oh, okay. But, but I, let think, me, but, I, I think they are trying to convince them. Well, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Go ahead. I, I, I will allow you to, uh, to hold that opinion because I don't have, you know, I don't have an insight into it. But the, but for any social movement, you're try your big, uh, the big get is to convince the other side or the majority, whoever they might be. And as soon as you start with Black Lives Matter, white people just, their, sphinc- their sphincters just go and shut up. It's like, how come you didn't mention us? Yeah. Where's this going? Yeah. Are you going for a, some kind of special rights or something? Because otherwise you'd be mentioning everybody. Right. Why, why did you just mention one group? So that's how it's received. Mm-hmm. So it fails on the most basic level, which is how does the, the people you want most to persuade how do they take it? Then the second part is it's amazingly low bar, meaning that uh, if you told me, hey, Scott, whatever your group is that you're in, we're, we're going to give you an inspirational uh, slogan, something to really move society forward. You're going to say, you matter. And I'd say, um, I knew I mattered. Can we raise the bar a little bit? Could I thrive? Mm -hmm. Could I be successful? Mm. How about that? Because mattering is basically, I'm sorry, I've never heard any, any black, I've never heard anybody 
say that anybody didn't matter. I've never even heard that opinion. Right. Like it, it, it's like I feel like as not a black person again, you know, just in my own little bubble, I don't get it mm. because I don't know any white person who ever thought black people didn't matter in the way the word is used. Mm. Not at all. Not not even a little bit. Mm. So it doesn't hit me in, at all. And I say, how about black lives thrive? Mm. How about black people are awesome? You know, I suppose that could be divisive too, because like, why not everybody else? But nobody would argue with black people thriving in the United States. There's no conservative. Black power. Nobody. Black power. <laughs> See, now, now black power sounds a little dangerous. <laughs> why, right? why does that sound dangerous? That's a little, sounds a little dangerous, because why do you need power? How about how about you just have a good life? But power is how you get a good life. Well, we're we're a democratic republic kind of a system. We should all have the no, same amount of no, power. No, power. one vote. No, no, but <laughs> one you, but you like for example, you said you're allowed to say the things you can say because you don't have a boss. You have right. power. You have you control your own power. But if you had a boss, your boss has so much power over your life that you can't speak your mind. So we are dealing with power. It's true. It, it, every, everything on some level, everything is power. But if you're talking about branding yeah. and you want to get power, saying that uh, you want power is the worst way to get power. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't argue that. I can't argue that. Um, so. I don't know if you, you're you familiar with this experiment. I'm not sure if it happened in the 60s or 70s, but it was the doll test, the, the black doll, white doll test. You ever seen that before? I feel like I've heard of it. Remind me. So basically what they did was he took black children, they put them in a room, they handed them a, a black doll and a white doll to see which one they'd want to play with. And the black kids overwhelmingly chose to play with the white doll and not the black doll. And they asked these kids why, and they said things like, you know, the white doll is prettier and the black doll is dirty, right? And this is with black kids. So when you say, when people say black lives matter, who are you trying to convince? You wouldn't convince yourself. I'm here to tell you, Scott, yes, these people, black people in America aren't completely convinced that their life matters. They, they, they have been so psychologically destroyed that that's what they believe. And that's why these slogans, this slogan was literally born from three women who, who swore up. I wouldn't agree, but they swore up and down. They were oppressed. And these women are from the LGBT community. But looking at the black left socialist Marxist, what I see is the people who are insecure. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize anybody else that way because I tried not to do too much uh, mind reading of people if I'm not really close to them. But um, yeah, I, that's a big problem. What, what would you do about that? I mean, what's the solution to that? Because if Black Lives Matter is meant to be a slogan talking to themselves, well, it'd be nice to know that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's initially when I was when I was assessing the thing and analyzing and I saw Black Lives Matter, I was like, first of all, I thought it was whack because I'm like, it should be a call to action. If you're you know, if you going to protest, your slogan needs to be a call to action, like uh, arrest dirty cops, right? Uh -huh. So uh -huh. now, now we know what we're trying to do here. It should be a call right. to action. And the fact that it was Black Lives Matter, I'm like, what, what, like, 
it, there's there's nothing there, right? There's nothing to grasp onto. You know, there's no substance there. So immediately, I didn't like the phrase um, for that reason. But I knew, knowing my people, that this was a a, a a cry for help. No mind, no mind thinks of something like that. Who at first doesn't first believe that their life matters. You know, it, that could answer the biggest uh, the biggest mystery I have about these so-called protests. Because normally a protest has to have somebody on the other side. Mm. You're protesting someone. But like I said, we all watched that, you know, the George Floyd video and everybody was on the same side on day one. Mm. You know, you, you had me a hello. And then I was just looking for solutions after that. It's like, mm. well, suggest what? Shall we meet? Who talks to who? You know, what do we do about this? Should we collect better statistics? We're all good to go. And then, and then I thought to myself, well, once we've all agreed, I guess the protests just fizzle out. Mm. And then for a while I thought, oh, maybe they're just burning up energy and the looters are just doing what looters do. And, you know, then it'll just burn out. But it's actually picking up steam. Mm. And, and again, it's still being called a protest and there's nobody on the other side. In fact, I believe there are more white people marching than black people, right? Yeah. Is that, is that true? That's probably true. Yeah. Just because of demographics. And, and I'm thinking to myself, there's something else fueling this. And maybe it's what you just said. Maybe, maybe what's fueling it is that Black Lives Matter are talking to themselves and they're not done talking. Because, you know, I think I've heard the message. You know, I was, I was going to tweet not long ago before we got on. I was just going to say, message received. Let's get to work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you look at uh, white people taking a knee and then you got black people crying. Now, if I saw a white man take a knee before me, the last thing I'm going to do is cry. I might laugh, you know, um, but I, I, I wouldn't cry. But the fact that they're crying just goes to show you how much this race topic means to them, how, 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 how much of their life weighs on this race topic right. and and to and to come into tears you know i would have to say you you i don't want to say you're a weak person because that would be wrong but i would say that um something's broken with you something's broken i i would like to make a suggestion a productive suggestion and right. it's this i don't think racism can go away because our brains are pattern recognition machines but they're not good at it so I use the example, if three people from Melbonia slapped me in the face and I'd only met three people from Melbonia, that when I meet the fourth person from Melbonia, I'm going to be like, oh. <laughs> 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 right? Yeah. And it's not because I know anything about the fourth person from Melbonia. It's because our brains work on patterns, but we're not good at it. We, we pick up false patterns as quickly as, as real ones. Confirmation bias, you know, cognitive dissonance. We're, we're, we're basically a mess. So I think the mistake is to say, let's get rid of that racism or, or bias in any way, because that's not going anywhere. The very right. next baby who is born is, still has that program, right. pattern recognition. But here's what you can do. You can change the frame. And you can say, all right, how about we don't look for the solution where we're looking for the problem? Mm. In other words, um, uh, I don't want to get rained on, but I'm not going to change the rain. Yeah. Right. I can yeah. build a, a roof. Right. And it'll be a hundred percent effective. I can get an umbrella, yeah. but the problem is the rain, but I can't really, the solution doesn't, that's a, doesn't, 
That's a yeah. per, that's a perfect analogy. That's exactly my my uh, argument for segregation. If white people are racist, build a roof and separate yourself from them. <laughs> uh, let's. Talk, I love to talk about that topic, but let me just finish this. <laughs> okay. And here's what I'm. Here's what I think. I think the strategy, life strategy, is the way to slice through um, discrimination almost like it wasn't there. Now right. it's still going to bother you. Like mm -hmm. it, it, it's because it is there. Can be an annoying. So of course, it's going to it's going to bother you. Right. But here's here's what I mean. Um, I, I want to take a, a class of twelve year old African American kids and say, "Give me an hour, and I want to explain this to you." And I'm going to say, "Kids, did you know that if you go into a job interview with a Fortune 500 company in America and you have the same qualifications as the white guy who went in at the same time, did you know that you'll get the job every time?" And they'll say, "That's not true." And they'll say, not every time. And I'll say, no, every time. <laughs> because the manager who's hiring gets a twofer. The, in my example, they were equal qualifications. That's not true, Scott. It depends if that token spot has been filled or not. No, there's no such thing as filled in oh, corporate yeah. America. In corporate America, because you cannot breach the uh, your quota of Negroes. That, no, that's known. You no, can't have no, too let, many Negroes. Let me tell you. You can't have too many Negroes congregating, and the, because then they start to communize. <laughs> All right. So, you know, having worked for two large Fortune 500 companies, right. and having having been okay, in the room, Fortune 500. You know, you have a lot of employees, so that right. it's hard to hit that quota. You're right. Okay. You're right. That's what I'm saying. Hard to hit the quarter. But it depends on what office it's at. You know, you might be in so, your office in a certain department and that department already got three black dudes and two of them got dreads. We might hire a dude that looked like Scott Adams. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So, but that's perfect. Uh, a perfect segue to my point, which is if you teach 12 year olds a strategy, then you say, all right, which of those two businesses are you going to apply for? The one, the one that might give you trouble. It's small. They don't need to have any diversity goals. It's a family-owned thing. If they're racist, it's going to be a living hell. Yeah. Or, or go work at Apple. Right. Do you know how Do you know how badly Apple wants to hire you? Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Like they'll they would salivate if you walk in with technical qualifications and you want to work for Apple, they, they hire you so fast. Yeah. Now, how many, how many 12 year old black kids know that? Um, what I just said? Not a lot. Yeah. Right. So my point is that, um, strategy can compensate for everything. And I'll use myself as, as an example, I was born with small town, you know, no resources, parents didn't go to college. You know, both of them had failed a grade in college. For different reasons, um, and they just said, "Well, you're going to go to college, and you know, you, you'll work this out." So they basically gave me a strategy, and they said, "We're we don't have any money, we don't have any connections, but if you do this, it'll work out." And they sold me on it at an early age. I was like, "Oh, really? Like if I do that, my life will be good." I don't know exactly how, but pretty much every time, really, just pretty much every time, I just stay out of jail. And just do these things and things work out and they do and i don't know that the 12 year old black kid is getting the you know the mentor who, who's saying look you do these things and you don't do these things it works every time not you know you don't become president every time hmm. but you're going to have a pretty darn good life 
So, and, and nothing, um, I don't think anything reduces racism more than success, period, right? I mean, you know, there, there's, um, I, don't, I don't want to say there's no racism in professional sports because I'm sure you can find it, but in terms of who gets to play, you know, how much you get paid, you know, all of those things, all the important things. As long as you stay in line. You know, well, that's true. Only, that's true everywhere. You might yeah. end up like uh, Abdul Rauf, blackball. Well, yeah, okay. There's <laughs> that, <laughs> but uh, you but, could but, but, could get the Mark Jackson treatment where he puts together the winning team, uh, and then they bring the white guy in to take all the credit. Steve Kerr, <laughs> <laughs> Steve Kerr, <laughs> right? The guy with no experience after he so, put the black man put the team together. <laughs> Well, at least Steve Kerr knows how to sink a three-point play, so he's got some. He's got some credibility too. He does. He does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me run into some super chats here. Uh, P Dog Knight. He said, "Did George Floyd uh, die because he was black, or because Derek Chauvin was an asshole? How would you weight the answer? I mean, there's no reason to speculate on that." Um, uh, Rachel B. Uh, what do you think of having community oversight entities over the police and abolishing police unions? Um, we'll talk about police. Let's talk about police in a minute. Uh, conservatives are listening, spreading the truth. Hotel has been told you. Thank you, um, AJ. Uh, Free to Talk said Scott Mosh has ideas. Please connect him to Trump. Uh, Alicia G. Yeah, I think that's somebody you could definitely connect to Trump. Um, uh, Alicia G. Uh, who were the scientists? Uh, what if it were false? What if they did that test now? It may have been a study meant to degrade blacks. Logan Boxing, what up, Logan? Thank you, Scott, for your videos during COVID. They become became modern day fireside chats. You helped the nation so much. <laughs> He's such a troll. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, we 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 when we talk about. When we talk about the unrest that's happening in the United States today, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people tuned into the media and tuned into social media. And then our, our for example, um, people were bragging about how many views Candace Owens' video got. I think it's at like 75 million right now or something like that in climbing, right? Wow. Yeah, something crazy. Or 67 million, 50 million, whatever it is. It's a, it's a high number. Um, She over-indexed. <laughs> Um, but her rhetoric wasn't the kind that would unite a nation. It was the kind that would divide a nation. It inflamed the, you know, the black community. Um, these, the, the, the rhetoric also never let things settle when, um, George Floyd was that video first hit. I mean, she responded within 24 hours. So a lot of that stuff ignites things and gets the ball rolling and then gets other blue checks, you know, start talking and other influences start talking. And then it's like, you know, a snowball effect. Right. Well, you know, uh, uh, so, so I, I say that to say, I say that because, you know, we're talking about again, black people working with Republicans and again, Republicans are irresponsible with their tongue at a time when we could have quelled the rebellion in Minneapolis. Now, do you think uh, that that Candace made a difference in terms of in I'm terms using, of I'm protests? Using, uh, I'm using her as an example because she's one of many thousands of people who politicize these events, both left and right. 
right? Well, that's all it is. It, it, it was only politicized, in my opinion. Correct. So what I'm saying is, when these events happen, and the irresponsible influencers are 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 you know adding to the flames, <laughs> throwing throwing kerosene on the flames, that's really. For example, you say we can move to the right, we can work with Republicans, but Republicans, as we saw with how low the bar was this week, the bar was so low that if you put a black box on your page and you took a knee, you are now invited to the proverbial black cookout, right? right. You are an ally now. That's how easy it was, right? Like that, that, that means nothing to me. As a black person in America who used to be racist, who my first tattoo was a black panther and I used to hate white people, that means nothing to me to see that, you know? I, I, I like tangibles, but the Republicans and the conservatives had an opportunity to get ahead of this thing in Minneapolis at in within that 24 hours and they dropped the ball. Even the president to, dropped the ball. To do, to do what? Uh, what would that have looked like? To do it right, what, what would that have been? Um, something less status, um, something more compassionate, um, condemning your thought leaders when they embellish and then politicize saying no that's not right candace stop it don't do that right instead of saying oh she right though she right though it's like cool but there's a time and place for a lot of things uh, uh yeah there there is a good time and place argument but what do you what do you make of her central argument that uh even though the you know, we're thinking about the individual George Floyd and about the larger ramifications and everything. But she brought into the conversation that he had a criminal record. Yeah. And her point is that as a black woman, she's saying, why are we celebrating black people? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, why are we celebrating people with a criminal record when right. we could be celebrating some scientist or something? Right. So let's talk about that. You have someone who says there's going to be a mass exodus from the Democratic Party and we need a Blexit and we need to walk away. Now, Scott, if you were a person who wanted to persuade the black community to come over to the right, do you think she's doing a good job persuading? She is really good at what she does. So, so let me, I'll give you a complete answer. As a communicator, she's world-class oh, and yeah. she's, and she's still young. Oh yeah. Like wait, wait till she's 50. It's oh, going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Oh, she's a mom. She, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and pretty much any job she wants. Yeah. Um, so there, so there's that. So yes, in that sense, but you, you have to ask yourself, who is she talking to? She's talking and to the crowd that pays her. We all are. I mean, unfortunately that's the basic problem with all politics is nobody's talking to the other side. Right. So, until somebody figures out how to do that. So the onus, the onus isn't on the black community to come over to the right. It's for the right to meet us in the middle. What would that look like? It would look what? like changing your rhetoric and being more persuasive. You can't say leave the Democratic Party and then use rhetoric that you know is going to cause people to hate Trump more. That doesn't make <laughs> sense. Yeah. Well, what would be, help me out here, if you were going to write a message, better messaging for the conservatives? No, shutting the fuck up is, is the message. You, like, you just don't have to speak. You didn't have to say anything. You didn't need to speak on George Floyd's death. You could have just shut the fuck up. That's all we well, you had. 
but you but you had to show compassion. You had to show that you're willing to act. You had to show you're willing to listen. You're showing. You had, you had to tell the country that they'd all be okay. Right. So you, so you can't really shut up. You don't okay, have that so, option. So, so if we wanted to do that, that's fine, right? Then yes. Why hasn't that happened? How come they didn't show compassion? How come it was let's investigate his life and pull up all his dirt? Did you? investigate the cop that killed him as intensively? No, you don't. The, the <laughs> right doesn't. They don't investigate. It's unfairly biased. I, I thought they were both investigated. I, on, on like day one, we heard that the cop had some other problematic encounters. Like we heard that right away. No, I'm not talking about the investigators. I'm talking about the people that are providing the rhetoric. rhetoric. You know, mm. Candace Owens is the scapegoat where you're going to be using her, <laughs> seems like, right? <laughs> Today's scapegoat. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, her rhetoric doesn't say that. It doesn't say compassion. It doesn't say, uh, you know, let's talk about this cop too. You know, it's no, I have there's a real... no objectivity. Here's... Which goes against uh... the mission. It goes against the mission of trying to get black votes. Um, let, let me throw a big old hand grenade into the middle of this conversation. Re conservatives don't believe in victims. In other words, they, they believe victims exist, of course, but that uh, emphasizing the victimhood is only bad. Right. I think, I think Candace would be, you know, the, one of the biggest voices in that, yeah. which is I'm not going to treat you like a victim. Right. I'm going to treat you like an adult in her view. Yeah. Uh, is that never productive? Because the conservative view is that if the African-American community would come over to their philosophy, mm. everything would work out fine. Yeah, I think generally we have that philosophy. Uh, the Hotep's push a victor over victim mentality. The thing is, when you call yourself conservative and an American is done wrong by the state and you don't do a thorough investigation, independent investigation, and present all the facts against the state, but you present all the facts against the American, you're not a conservative, you're a status. Yeah, you know, I, I think the problem with the, the two teams model is that each team looks at what hasn't been presented on their side, and then they try to fill in the blanks on their side so that their side is fully represented. I, I think both conservatives and liberals would say the same thing, which is the other side has their argument covered. So let me just do my side. And, and then they're both out there. So I, I'm not sure you can really hold it against either the left or the right for not representing the other's argument. Now, I would argue that if you don't represent the other's argument explicitly, you are shit for a communicator, right? And you don't, and you don't, you don't, you don't deserve your job. <laughs> if if you're a politician and you can't say in direct, clean language, this is what these other people are thinking. I choose to go this way. Here are the advantages and disadvantages of these two things. If you can't do that, you 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 should not be in politics whatsoever. But right. we observe that they typically don't do that because yeah. they're usually just selling. Yeah. So so you you know that the blue checks are grifting. You know, I, I hate that word because everybody's grifting all the time, uh, meaning that, you know... You pander to we, your crowd for... Well, we, we have a system in which people do things for money, and uh, as soon as you mix that up with the philosophy stuff, 
it gets ugly because I think mostly people are, you know, doing things that have some self self interest directly or indirectly. That's just baked into everything we do all the time. Mm, mm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I feel like the Republican Republicans have. I think the ball is in their court to get black people to decide. I don't think it's well, black people. So now, for for the Republicans to show the level of uh, let's say empathy, if I can use that word, the, yeah. the right level of empathy yeah. would would require them to uh, give up their core philosophy, which is I'll show you empathy. I'll say the words. I will respect you. I'll give you your time. I'll, I'll make things right. I'll work with the judicial system, etc. But I'm not going to cry for a victim because you know I'll have a bad day too, and you don't need to cry for me. I'll take care of it. I, I'm not sure that what that what you're asking of conservatives would help you in the least. Like it would make you feel better. No, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not asking the conservatives for anything. The conservatives are asking black people for their vote. And what I'm saying is, it's not on us for the vote. Like fuck your politics, right? Black people tend not to vote. Period. <laughs> the only person going to the ballot is grandma and my auntie, right? <laughs> Like, I'm not going to the ballot box. It's just not happening. You know, I'm not saying that we care about conservatives. What I'm saying is I'm tired of the rhetoric from conservatives saying, hey, why don't you guys vote red? And I'm like, yo, you just saw this week how low the bar was and you couldn't even come halfway. <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't make it. You're so right. You're so right. This this was this was a layup. <laughs> From the beginning, it, it, it was like here, here's here's a pile of gold. Yeah, you know, this pile of gold. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'll I'll go my own way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. It, it was it was a missed opportunity of just astonishing proportions. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's what I see on a micro level every single day. I just see missed opportunity after missed opportunity. And I'm like, that's not how the nation's going to anywhere, because I do agree that if we're going to get anywhere politically, it is with Republicans and conservatives. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because how do you square the fact that uh, the left wants empathy and the right is just looking for a system that works and respect? I would say the, I would say the right cares about respect. And, uh, and do we have a system like a constitution or whatever that works? And the left is really about, we'd like, you know, our objective would be a, a fair world and, and we feel this way, but those are two so different things. And, and I think there's, a, there's a, a wrong assumption on the left. And when I hear you talk, I'm feeling like, are you making this assumption? And I'll, I'll just ask you if you are, which is that, do you think that the conservatives don't have the empathy versus exhibiting it? Do you, do you think they actually lack it? Yeah, I don't think they like black people. I think they're racist. I would say I would say more than sixty percent. Nah, fuck that. I would say at least eighty percent of white people globally. I, let's just stick to America because I know them better than most people. I would say eighty percent of white people have uh, some sort of implicit bias. Well, you wouldn't say a hundred percent, because I would say a hundred percent. No, I, I'm 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 considering. Uh, there's a lot of amiable people in this world that literally like are like um, like I know 
I would say lower intelligence people. I'm trying to be nice here, but sometimes lower intelligence people are sometimes some of the nicest people. They don't even see some of, you know, the they don't get some of the racist stuff. They're just so oblivious and nice to everyone. I've seen people like that. So I'm accounting them as that small percentage. Hmm. Yeah. You know, in my mind, I just think everybody is a pattern recognition machine. And, yeah. You know, we can so easily become, you know, Karen in the park. You know, they're making the phone call to the police. There's an African-American man here. Uh, need I say more? <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like Karen, Karen thinks she's told them all, all they need to know to dispatch the a patrol car. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, I feel like everybody, black, white, whatever, has got that in them and yeah. that it's, we're just, we will never solve that because the very next kid is going to have it in them. We're just, it's yeah. just who we are. Yeah. And that the, the way to go is to first, uh, this would be my preference if I could be king, is that we would fully embrace the bad parts of ourselves and just accept it. And just say, you know, I, when, I, when you walked in the door, you don't have to say it out loud, but at least accept it. You know, when you walked in the door, I had these, these thoughts. When you started talking, it changed. And, and then I overcame it with my a higher level reasoning and my constitution and my Bible, if those things mean anything to me. So I use my tools. Mm. Here's my constitution. Here's my Bible. Here's my training. Here's my common sense. Oh, okay. We can get past this easily. I just had this bias. You had a bias. We both had a bias. We both got over it. Let's move on. Yeah. So I think it's got to be all about the strategy and about how you overcome it. Yeah. And that there's no path to success mm. for getting rid of it because mm. it's just not a thing. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I, um, I think that everybody is racist. You know, that's just my personal thing. I think black, white people, no matter who you are, I think we're all racist, probably because of the pattern recognition thing you're talking about uh, has something to do with it. Um, but, um, I, I I definitely believe that uh, white conservatives are less compassionate towards black lives than they are white lives. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I only believe that there's something wrong with that when they try to fake like it's not the truth. I'll tell you right now to your face. I care more about a black man dying and a white man dying. I can I can honestly <laughs> say that. You know what I mean? A lot of people can't say that because they're not allowed to or whatever it is. But that's how I feel. You know what I mean? Uh, now, to me, that feels like progress. Okay. Like the 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 fact that you can tell me that, yeah, doesn't doesn't change even the slightest my association. You know, you know my relationship with you, right? Because that just sounded honest to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to ding you for being honest. <laughs> yeah, I think right? that's what we need, though. It, obviously, we're not going to get it. But if everybody was just honest. And said, yo, I don't care about George Floyd because he's black. Fuck him. I'd be like, cool, that works. You know, now we don't have to hear your opinion, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know, to chime into this thing and then to add to the conversation, it's like you don't really care about the situation. You just want to politicize it or voice your opinion or get your retweets off for today, you know. Well, you know, I also think that people care about themselves and their families and their close friends. And then the, the amount of caring falls off really quickly after that. Yeah. And, and so the fact is, if you see a stranger dying, it's still a stranger. And, and people are going to process it that way. So, you know, um, I, I think the weirdest thing about this whole situation, the, the George Floyd 
tragedy, is that it's the best thing that ever happened to the country um, disguised as the worst thing. Mm, mm. Because we came together in such an impressive way mm -hmm. with no argument whatsoever about the, the core question. You know, like the, the trivial the trivialities about the two other officers and what's the charge and I don't care. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I wouldn't know what was right. Right. What's the, the strategy of that? But the fact that every person in the country agreed on the video. Yeah. I, I've never seen that before. Yeah. Have you? Have you ever seen us agree that hard? Um there was one other time, I think it was um, COVID and then something else. And I was just like, when the country's agreeing, that's when I'm usually worried. <laughs> but this one time I'm like, wow, y'all agree, huh? About time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you know, all the, the stuff like the looting, that was just opportunistic. That that shouldn't even be part of the story. Right. right? Um, yeah. I don't know. I th I, the, and the fact that there are more white people marching with black people for all the right reasons, uh -huh. this is an amazing time. It's an amazing time. Uh, yeah. And yeah. but but we're just so PTSD from the horror of the event and we're coming off the coronavirus. I don't think we can see straight uh -huh. that the greatest thing that's ever happened to this country just happened on the back of a tragedy. Yeah. Because it was so bad, that's what triggered it. Yeah. Uh, it's all there's way more good than bad coming out of this, I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. Despite the tragedy. I'm gonna get in super chats, I'm gonna talk police reform. And um, some other things. La no, Logan Boston said, no, I was not trolling at all from the bottom of my heart. All right, Logan. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Um, you support public executions for traitors like those involved in Russia collusion, Antifa, red meat for the base? Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> Yim Yimish 5, thank you for the super chat. Chad Lemoyne dropped a four-step plan. I'll, I'll, I'll show Scott my four-step plan, see what he thinks about that. Um, Robot Teggy, he said, the most interesting conversation I heard in a while. I can't guess what Ho uh, HJ is going to say next. New perspective. Scott, please get on a scope with him uh, with the ability for viewers to ask questions. Cool. That'd be dope. Um, um, where do I want to go next? Um, uh, How about your four-point plan? Now nah, we'll get into that next. We'll get into that after All that. Right. Uh, let's, let's talk... It was something I wanted to talk about before police reform. All right, let's just go to let's go to police reform. Um, people talking about abolishing the police and and, and all of that. Um, where you stand on all that? I think it's kind of stupid. You know what? Uh, I'm going to surprise you. The, okay. the talk about abolishing the police. I'm into this. Okay. And and let me put some parameters on it. Obviously, it's not going to work in most places. Mm -hmm. You're not going to abolish the police in New York City and get a good result. Right. Let's agree on that. Right. But we have lots of uh, tools now: electronics, surveillance, tracking. We can we can uh, coordinate a, a network watch in a way that we never could before. I'll tell you my my neighborhood. You come into my neighborhood, there's going to be cameras on you. <laughs> you know, as soon as you come down the road, and there's going to be a camera every every 50 feet, and the whole neighborhood is going to get an email if anything looks out of place. Mm. Now, imagine, if you will, mm. that there are smart people who have apparently been wrestling with this question for a while. I haven't seen their output, mm. but the the general idea that in a, some special cases, and maybe it's a neighborhood or right. you know, may, may not be a big city, but that you could test it. Mm. 
I'm way into testing. Okay. So if, so if there's some small community who says, Hey, we got an idea, you know, we're going to try this. Uh, I say, please. Well, please well they, they did. Like to they, they, they got that in Texas. There's this town in Texas. I forget what it's called. Green something I want to say, but they have um, a private police force that is, um, I think it works in conjunction with municipal police, but it's paid for by the people and they have a, a private police force. So they're, they're this, I want to say I read about this at least a year or two years ago. So there is, you know, a, a somewhat of a pilot program, I guess you can say, where the police are for the people and not for the state. Right. Here's why I don't like it. Every time somebody gives a, a politician a reason to create policy, we get screwed. For example, last time we had the Black Lives Matter thing, what they do? They um, did the police camp thing, right? The police camp thing, all that did was increase the surveillance of Big Brother's coverage, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so it's like with every gift comes the curse. So yeah, like, you, yeah. you know, so I'm like, don't touch nothing. <laughs> don't, I, I don't want y'all to touch, don't try to fix nothing because every time you try to fix it, you break it more. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Yeah, <laughs> the oldest joke. Yeah, and that's what I see. Also, if we look at Baltimore, uh, and they told Baltimore, "Hey, Baltimore, please, yo, stop going to this neighborhood." And then they did a, a Netflix documentary on how the, the crime spiked, and now it's like it's like a free for all. It's like you know, underworld that's happening there. I think there are steps that can take us to a police free society because I don't believe in the entity of police existing, but to abolish police. Out of nowhere, I'm like, oh, that's just irresponsible, right? And, yeah. And the people- yeah, it, the, the the way our political conversation always goes, it's like, you know, it's all, either all of this or none of this. When, when in fact, the idea is to find some kind of thing in the middle that hasn't been done, you know, with added resources. So I say, let the creative people take a shot at it. If you can find a town that's willing to try it, yeah. you know, it's the only way progress is made. Somebody has an idea, they test it. Yeah. And there's there's no other way to move forward. You familiar with Khalid Muhammad? Uh, I feel I, I feel like I should be. He, yeah, he, he used to be with the with the uh, Nation of Islam. Um, Khalid Muhammad taught us that black people are behind enemy lines, and that whenever we have an incident with police, we are to uh, issue our dog tags, our ID, right? Show them our dog tags. And then um, after that, there's nothing else that to be said, right? There should be no dialogue. If if there's if we're going to be detained, let them detain us. We'll handle it in court. Ba 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 ba. When I watch your Periscope, you give something similar about again controlling yourself to control the situation. I don't have problem with police. Have I had problems with police? Yes, I had. Every single time I've had problem, I got my ass kicked by the police. I told him I was screwing his wife, and he whooped my ass. Obviously, I probably deserved it. Should he whoop my ass? Probably not. But I was drunk. I was arrested. And I got what I got. But I've also been in situations where I've had my cell phone while in jail because I was nice to the cop. You know, <laughs> I got arrested. I was cordial. The sergeant goes, I ah, loosen his cuffs a little bit. We're talking football. I've been arrested so many times I had got comfortable with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was that bad. Uh, a lot of it was racial profiling, but that's another story. Not to say I wasn't wrong in the matter or I didn't have warrants um, for stupid stuff. But, you know, I we'd be talking football or whatever on the way to the station. You let me keep my cell phone or I put on my white voice during a traffic stop. Hello, officer. 
My name is Brian Sharp. How are you today? You know? Um, but I think there is a protocol that people need to be taught on dealing with the police state. Before we talk about any reform, we need to talk about your conduct. Because I feel like black people talk too much when we deal with these cops, man. It's too much dialogue. Just shut the fuck up. Well, uh, let me ask you this question because you could answer it uh, and I can't, okay. which is, in your opinion, do young black men put up more resistance to police than other groups, any other group? Ah, uh, yes. Now, see, now I can't say that, yeah. right? Because then I'd be a racist, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not, now, I'm not basing that off of a guess. I'm basing this off of... I closed my eyes and, and we got pulled over by a black cop one time and my homie was like, nah, you know, he was on his whole, like, I know my right shit. And he got snatched out the window, you know? Right. Um, I'm going based upon how I've acted at some times during and how I've seen other people and how I think pe white people, because I, I, I imagine white people will handle a traffic stop like how I would. How you doing, officer? Nice day today. Like, I'd imagine <laughs> that, you know? Yeah, that's that's how I do it. Yesterday, I was getting ready to go leave my driveway, and uh, some police car pulls up with lights blaring and blocks my driveway. And like I'm the only one there, right? And I'm like, oh shit, it's going down. And but but here's the difference between my experience as a white man in America and other people's experience: car pulls up, and I think you know the shit's going down, but because the, the lights on, and he blocks my driveway. He had lots of places, other places to be. It's like, oh, this is about me. I don't know what this is going to be. And I, I see the guy, and he starts to get out of the car, and I walk toward him, and I go, is there a problem? And he's like, oh, no, sir, no, sir, sorry. And, and he goes away. And I'm thinking, I don't think that goes down exactly the same everywhere, does it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think that's the same. because That's white privilege. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, but it's, it's not just white privilege. It's rich privilege. It's, old, it's older, 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 older makes a big difference. Age makes a huge difference. Yes, Be, because at twenty, I get my ass kicked in that same situation. True, but but at my age, and I, you know, I have a nice car, and I'm in a nice neighborhood, and I say, "What's the problem?" The first thing he should be thinking is, "Oh fuck, I'm going to lose my job." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's the first thing he's thinking. Yeah. Now I am completely aware that this situation is not even close to being equitable or fair and to the point where it's funny. Yeah. Like, you know, I can enjoy it cause I'm not getting my ass kicked at the moment. So, but anyway, to, so uh, to the earlier point, I do think that it would be fairly easy, you know, if young black men wanted to eliminate all risk, they would just have to do some things, but you know who knows if they want to. Who, whoever convinced young men of any, you know, in any group, whoever convinced young men to do anything, really. Yeah. You know, young men are young men. You know, we've we've been young men. You are still one. So, uh, but it would be easy. Yeah. In other words, the technique would be easy, and it, and it would go like this. And I use this as an example, not not the exact thing. Imagine if you would that every every young black man who gets trained to do this when he stopped, you know, put his hands on on the wheel, which mm -hmm. the police like. That shows respect. Mm -hmm. That's what it does. That shows respect. I think, I think more importantly, what it does is it reduces fear. Reduces fear, reduces the unknown. Right. And and then here's the second part. The police officer comes up. You've got your window down and everything, so you can have your hands here. 
And, and suppose you said to him, uh, good morning, officer. How can we stay safe today? Hmm. Disarming question. The, the rest of the interaction goes fine. Hmm. Because you just told the police officer that you respected him and you'd like to keep both of you safe. Mm. Nobody says that if they're looking for trouble. Mm -hmm. It just would never come out of your mouth if you're looking for trouble. Mm. Now, people have said to me, oh, but someday the really bad people will figure it out and, and then they'll pull the gun after they say that. I'm like, okay, mm. you know, maybe. <laughs> but, but you can reduce you know, just massive amounts of completely unnecessary altercations if you make the police officer feel safe. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he's got to get home to his kids too, and he's got a dangerous job. He's pretty pretty high strung, or at least I would be if I were in that situation. Oh yeah, yeah. I'd be popping people left and right if I was a cop. I'd be really high strung. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I want to add on to that protocol at night. I want to add. Make sure you turn on your uh, in cabin light. Oh, good. That's a good suggestion. Yeah. Um, be aware of where he is and when you're reaching for your glove box. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people don't have their paperwork, like their insurance and their registration quickly right. handy. They be looking for it and stuff. And it's like, I don't know if you're reaching for a gun or you're trying to hide drugs or anything else like that. They can be misconstrued or, you know, taken away. Well, but you should also ask before you go digging around in your console or you, you should say, officer, it's in the glove compartment. May I get it? Right, right, right. Absolutely. But to mitigate that risk, what we do is make it readily available. So it only takes two seconds. So you got it out before he comes. Right. right. Have right. it together in like a little sleeve. Your insurance company gives you a little stick. Have that stuff together. Have your license together and just boom, you know, have that ready for them. I think that's right. very important. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is, and this might not be so obvious. Keep your car clean. Keep your car clean. Uh, because when you got, you know, Dutch guts and cigar guts on the ground, they know you've been breaking up and smoking weed. Um, right. if you got, you know, uh, your, 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 your work uniform and your work boots in the back and yesterday's lunch in the front and all this <laughs> stuff, when they come around with the flashlight to kind of search from the car, from the exterior, they got to look through all of that stuff, uh -huh. you know, but when the car was yeah. absolutely clean, there's no way they can even plant evidence on you. Cause it was empty. They can't hide it beneath yeah. that little plastic bag. Or, can't, put, can't put it in your boot. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. You can't put it in your boot. Keep but, the car clean. But on top of that, besides the practical part that they can see it better, is that it, it primes them to think you're a certain kind of person. Absolutely. And, and that's what you want to do. And they profile you based upon the condition of your car, too. You know, you see somebody rolling around in a hoopty, you know, it's right. probably of lower uh, income and lower income are higher likely to drive around with alcohol and drugs in their car or be conducting, um, you know, might not have, might have a light out or something like that. So, so, so given that, as we talked about before, people are pattern recognition and things, if you break a pattern the way you're talking about, like you could actually be a gang member, but if your car is spotless, it breaks the pattern and the cop's going to be like, eh, doesn't look like a gang member. <laughs> this is very clean. You're very tidy for a gang member. Then yeah. um, here's the other thing I suggest. If I were a young black man and I was worried about the police, et cetera, I would find some kind of a, a pin or something that would show that I'm religious. Uh. Something, you know, assuming I am religious, uh. I, I would have a Bible in the car. 
or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Cop, cop rolls up to you and sees a Bible in the in the in the other seat. Yeah. What stereotype does the cop have, right? Yeah. So instead of saying, "Why don't you policemen have no stereotypes and no racial bias?" I'm sorry, it's impossible. Yeah. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. How about I give you a confounding or uh, an anti-pattern that you can see just as clearly as you can see my skin color, and then you'll say, oh, okay, yeah, Bible, That's okay. Yeah, yeah. You could also um, have uh, a, a, a quick dial button to the classical station and play classical music real low, real calming classical music. <laughs> That's really good. That's a good suggestion. Uh, I like that one. Go to your local police station and give them $20 and ask for those little PBA stickers. Police, what is it? The PBA, Police Bureau Association. I forget what it's called, but it shows that you support the local police department. I, I was going to say that, except does that get your car vandalized depending on where you're parking? I've never had it happen. Oh, you have, do you have a police? Yeah, I, pra I, I, yeah, I practice this. Yeah, I practice this. Every every time you move to a new town, you go to the local precinct. My dad taught me this. You go to the local precinct, you, you hand them a check for $25, a cash of $25, you're asking for this little sticker, and you put that in the window. Usually they don't pull you over because they know, hey, this is somebody's local and support. And every year you have to update that sticker. So you might have 2018, wow. 2019, you know. All the way down the side of your car, say, "Okay, this is a good guy." You know, that's like that's like a stamp tax for black people. It's like yeah, if you pay, if you pay this tax, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's it's definitely some of that. Um, so you got the PBA, you got the um, the radio playing. I like the Bible idea. Pull your seat up. A lot of times, black people we driving around, we got our seat way back like this. When the cop come, pull your seat up. Upright, you know, poke your chest out a little bit. You know, body language, body language is a lot. Oh yeah, there's a lot to do with this, man. You know, fix your body language. I, I also see when I see video of you know police stops that went wrong, regardless of who it is, you'll you'll see the perp, the perpetrator, really sort of moving toward the cop, even if subtly, you even if just their chest or just their face, but but even any distance at all, if you're closing distance between you and a police officer, you, you should get your ass kicked. Yeah. Uh, like you shouldn't close that distance. You could let him close it, but yeah. don't close the distance. Yeah. That's, that's just crazy. Yeah. I, you know, so, so that's what I'm into. I'm into classes like that. Like, like, like Maz Toure does classes on black guns and black guns matter and, you know, firearm safety and, um, uh, conflict resolution. We need that in the hood. You know, here's how All to, right. here's how to put on your white voice. Here's what to do during a traffic stop. Here's how to deal with cops. I also think that law needs to be known better. I don't think people understand their rights. And I think that needs to be a class that needs to be taught. So when you do have a, a, a problem with the cop, you know, not only federal, but your local. I don't think a lot of people know locally what the law says. And that's a huge problem, too. I, th I think so. But um, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap up pretty pretty quickly because my uh, my uh, my bladder is full and I won't be able to go much longer. I got you. No doubt. <laughs> the, the, the things that don't embarrass me that I can say in public these days. <laughs> it's um, good to have no shame. Hell yeah. It's, one of the, it's like a superpower. Well, we're going we gonna to finish off with my four, four step plan and then get out of here. Uh, Yardley yes, Moy says, uh, love the show. Appreciate Scott Adams for his time. I want Drew Brees to learn history on black soldiers was created during World War One. 
that uh, World War II, also GI Bill, racist discrimination. Thank you, Yardley. Um, all right, so here's my four-step plan. First step, the first step was uh, secure the perimeter. Protest is over. It got co-opted by Antifa and um, you know Soros and his goons. Protest is right. over, right? All right. Um, okay. Uh, celebrities, celebrities who 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 uh, wanted to be involved and showed up at these protests. Use a celebrity to work with, like we had T.I. And, and Killer Mike, who was standing right next to Keisha in Atlanta. They could have worked with the local community to organize to secure the perimeter. If you're from out of town, you're not allowed in. If you're from in town, you're not. Well, you can go out, but you're going to go yeah. through a checkpoint, right? So that's the first step. Secure the perimeter. Okay. We're also securing the perimeter for people that want to come in and volunteer. I do not think people should be allowed to come in and volunteer to clean up any of the damage. What we need to do is we need to document and record all evidence of the crime and destruction that happened here. And we need to keep a record of this stuff because all this stuff comes with estimates. Every time somebody who volunteers comes into the neighborhood and sweeps up glass, all I see is money disappearing. That's a budget that had been allocated to somebody's job. We could have reintroduced uh, homeless people back into the community with these jobs of sweeping up and scrubbing graffiti. All right, I'm really not going to make it any further. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to go. All right, because my bo my body has reached this uh, like physical limit. Gotcha. Not so good. We're going to do. If, it. If, gonna, you, if you if you want to finish your four your four points uh, without me, I, I would not feel bad about that. Now nah, we're not going to do it because everybody know they saw it on my channel and went around. Oh, they already see it. All right. <laughs> but I appreciate you, Scott. Thank you very much. We're going to talk soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much for this. I thought th I think this was productive. I hope it was good for the people watching as well. No, it was awesome. It was it was great, man. Thank you. I'll see you All on right. the timeline. Let's let's talk again. All right. All right. Take care. Peace. That's it, folks. I hope y'all enjoyed the show. Um, Grant Geyser, he says this is great content. Um, a Virgil Grant for you. <laughs> a Virgil. <laughs> Half a grant. Um, Scott, you could go, man. You could go. Yeah, 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 yo. Peace out. <laughs> um, Patriot J, uh, love the Hotep Jesus and Scott Adams. Appreciate you, Patriot J. Um, Chris Jones, this is a very intriguing conversation. Thanks, guys. Please do not fall for the percolated narrative of blaming China for our own cowardice and evacuation. Uh, they aren't the ones creating caverns. It's our fault. Let's deal with it. <laughs> Uh, Kristen Minot, thank you very much. You're always so super supportive consistently. Thank you. Uh, Connor Mack, Hotep, thank you, sir. And thank you, Scott. Word up. Um, thank you for everybody uh, tuning in. Before you leave, make sure you subscribe, 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 subscribe. Hit the like button. Share this with your friends. Share this with your family. Share this with the timeline. Um, circulate this around. I definitely appreciate all the support. And um, I'll see you next week. Wednesday, we'll be with uh, Wendy O. We'll be talking love and marriage. Thursday, uh, that's uh, Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Thursday, well, Hotep has been told you, Uncle Hotep, 8 p.m. Eastern time. And then Friday, 7 p.m. next week, I'll be here with Rolo Tomasi, I believe. Or at least I'm trying to get him on. If not, I got another great guest. Y'all be safe, y'all.